So we finish our conversations today, the collection that we have been looking at this theme, We Can Do More Together. And we focused on Joshua uh, and particularly his last speech because Joshua was a guy that had seen every mountain and every valley. He had been a, with Moses for many years. He had been through every day, uh, four decades in the wilderness. He had seen the best of human nature and the worst of human nature. He had seen great success and he had seen great failure. He had seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And all of those things that he experienced were together. It came out of a community. Joshua was not on an island like the Apostle John was. He was in the, the thick of people. And that is probably the most challenging part of our lives, to be in a community and, and to have good days and bad days and good weeks and bad weeks and good years and bad years. And, and that's true for a community. It's true for families. It's true for workplaces. And it really is human relationships, is it not, that really creates so bit of uh, amounts of tension. And because of that, at the end of his life, he's about 110 years old, he gives a speech. And the speech really is not only for um, a a remembering of what has happened to this one point, but it is also a catapult that, that is taking them, the people, forward because he understands that his runway is very limited. And so today, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to, some, I often uh, tell you to turn to one place. I'm going to invite you to turn to two places. I'm going to take what I call a boulevard approach. You know, a boulevard has a stretch of road going one way. It's separated by typically some grass and some trees, and then there's another stretch of road going the other way. Sometimes the Bible is that way. Let me give you an example. The first four books of the Bible are going one way, and then you get the book of Deuteronomy, and it's kind of giving you a flashback of what happened in the first four books. So you have one direction going one way, and then you kind of have a, a reflective look. In the New Testament, there is a book uh, by the name of Hebrews. Uh, there's been arm wrestling for centuries of who actually wrote the book because some of the books that we have, uh, clearly it was written by Paul, clearly it was written by Peter, John, and whatnot, and we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. It's a rather profound book, but it is a boulevard book. What I mean by that it explains for us a lot of the things in the Old Testament. It looks back and says, well, here's what was happening. Here's why it was happening. And so for that reason, we're going to, I invite you, if you have your Bible, to put a marker or a finger in Genesis chapter 4, and then also we'll be, uh, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the other side of the boulevard of, of Genesis chapter 4. If you didn't understand a word that I just said, don't worry about it. We're just going to have fun. We'll be all right. I'm going to frame this and build off last week's wonderful message by my good friend, Doug Pohl. So thankful that he stepped in, and uh, thank you, Doug is here right now. Thank you, Doug. Um, because these, these uh, themes are tied so directly together. I'm going to frame this by an a observation after Joshua had died. He died at 110 years old, and in the last chapter of Joshua, we read these words in Joshua 24, verse 31. Israel, the nation that Joshua had led 
for so many years, serve the Lord. That means they yielded their ambitions to the Lord. What they wanted to do became secondary to what God wanted them to do. That's what serving means. They served the Lord through the lifetime of Joshua. So for our basis of conversation, I'm going to say on the runway of Joshua. Everybody's life has a runway. There's a definite beginning and there's a definite end. Some are short runways, some are long runways. But I do believe that every runway is very defined. Ever who builds runways can tell you to the inch how long a runway is. And God can tell you to the inch how long your runway is. I travel, as you know, I go to places that are sometimes risky and dangerous. Just took a trip like that. And people say, man, are you, are you nervous? Are you worried? And I'm like, you know, I'm not. I'm going to you know, exercise sensible caution, of course. I'm not going to do something you know, intentionally stupid, probably do something unintentionally stupid, but I'm not going to do something stupid. But I realize that when I get on that plane, if that's my day, that's my day. And it helps me to relax because the, our days are numbered. And so I always feel like, and maybe you've heard this before, you know, when that little oxygen, if the plane is going down, a little oxygen mass drops down, I'm going to put it on the top of my head, strap it on like a party hat, and say, hey, this is my day. I'm getting ready to see the Lord. <laughs> That's how I feel. So you can pray for me or not. I, I, yeah, I'm okay. That's my runway. Israel served the Lord during the runway of Joshua and of the elders which outlived his runway. This is our topic today. Often when we talk about we can do more together, we're talking about, we think about now. We can do more together now. But what Joshua proved is that he lived his life in such a way that it outlived his runway. So after he died, we still, after centuries, are seeing the evidence of his life for kingdom work. Some people are remembered by great political moments, the kingdom of this world. No problem with that. Some people are remembered for being great family people, for being great speakers, for being great artists, for being great musicians, or being great movie stars, great athletes, whatever that might be. All well and good. But the things that count when we get beyond our runway are the things of the kingdom of God, the movement of God, the purposes of God, the eternal things. The Bible clearly says that those are the things that really count. It doesn't matter if you were a famous singer or whatever you did. It's really what you did for the movement and the cause of Christ. And so we want to live our lives as Joshua did and ask ourselves the question, what kingdom things are we doing that will outlive our runway so that after we got, go, God is still getting glory for the things that he did through us on our runway. Let me read it in its entirety. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. Just a couple of chapters before this, in Joshua chapter 22, there were some people, part of the nation of Israel, who had built an, a, 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 an altar. We won't get into the details. They were asked, why did you build this altar? In twenty-two twenty-seven, Joshua 22, verse 27, they said, we built this altar to be a witness between us and you, the people that were standing there, and the generations that follow. So let me ask a question, and then we're going we're gonna to dive into the boulevard of Scripture today. Let me ask this question. Are you building an altar 
on your current runway, it's the only one you got, that will be viewed for eternal purposes after you take your final breath on this planet? Will people look back at your altar and say, wow, that was a kingdom-purposed person? So now we're going to look at Genesis chapter 4. And you may find it peculiar, this particular passage and why we would use this. But there are times in life where life is kind of divided just naturally. For example, there's men and there's women. Uh, There's adults, there's children. There's introverts, there's extroverts. There's uh, kale eaters and non-kale eaters. There's meat eaters and there's vegan. There are people who are going to get the barbecue and they probably have a vegan. Uh, They don't have a vegan? Okay. And, and, you know, there's, there's these divisions. In the spiritual kingdom, there are those who, with no judgment, there are those who have come alive in their spirit. They're alive spiritually through Christ. And there are those that, are, that have not had that intersection yet. And then if you take the, the, those that, are, that have a relationship with God, there, there is a distinguishing mark. And I, I'm going to propose to you that this is, this is the challenge for us on our runway of life. Which one of these are we living? Which kind of lives are we living? And we see it in the experience or the history of Cain and Abel. Now, we know what happened at the end of the story. Cain kills Abel, but we're not going to focus on that, that part of the story because both of these men, Cain and Abel, were giving an offering to God. So they both had a relationship with God. This is not the story of somebody didn't have a relationship with God and somebody did have a relationship with God. They both were coming to church, let's say. And this is a story of two different types of people on the runway and what they did with life. And I believe that God can challenge us through these two lives, Cain or Abel, to help us take inventory of what kind of life we're living on the only runway we have, okay? It's fascinating, and there is a glorious boulevard ending to this story. So we begin in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. From the beginning, let me give you the backdrop, in the previous chapter is when Adam contaminated the human race mysteriously through his disobedience, and the ground was cursed, and yet the mandate for men and women to have dominion over the living creatures still existed. And so even from the beginning, we see a little bit of the lanes beginning to form. Abel was was having dominion over the living creatures, and Cain was working with the cursed land. But then church time came. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits. He was a gardener, a farmer. He brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought the fat portions. Okay, any bacon lovers in the room? What is the best part of the bacon? You, all of it. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yes. 
It's the fat part. Like when you're coming in, you're smelling barbecue today. You are not smelling the lean part. You're smelling the fat part. And if there's no fat in that barbecue, there ain't no taste in that barbecue. And so there's this, there's this, uh, there's this sense that the fat part was the great part. But not only that, Adam, Abel, <laughs> brought the fat portions from the firstborn of the flock. He bought the very best of the best to God, as opposed to Abel, who brought some. I don't know what that meant. A few grapes, a couple bananas. But you can tell that he wasn't excited about it. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Here's what I find fascinating. If I, You don't mind if I step into the classroom for, for, for the Bible students for just a, a few minutes. When I begin to talk about giving, and this is not a message on giving, so everybody's got a you know, wrinkled brow, you can relax, take a deep breath. <laughs> when we talk about giving and tithing, people, some people automatically say, hey, that was an Old Testament law. What's fantastic and fascinating about this verse is that the Old Testament law came in way, way later, years and years later in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses walked off the mountain with all the regulations. This is Genesis chapter 4 before we have any regulations and still we find the presence of people returning to God part of what they've earned or grown or, or flocked or shepherded or whatever they've done. And so there's some conversation that happened somewhere with God that we don't have. There's some conversation that happened that there was this expectation of like, hey, bring to me your very best. I find that fascinating. And so when we look at this, we see two different people, two types of people, two types of God followers on two different runways, and it becomes a challenge for us. Now, I'm going to then ask you to toggle on the other side of the boulevard to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. And we begin to get a commentary of what's happened in Genesis chapter 4. It's fascinating. In Genesis chapter 11, and verse 4, we begin to read about Abel. And I believe that this teaches us what does it take to build an altar on the runway of our lives that will make a difference beyond our runway to people when we're long gone. The first, the first thing I'm going to propose to you is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, and the very first sentence says this, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Now, the literal translation of that is that he sacrificed more. So you could literally read it in a simplified version. By faith, Abel offered God more sacrifice than Cain. It's interesting that this sentence begins by faith, because here's the key. If you're going to give God your best and you give it to him first, it is an act of faith because you don't know what's going to happen after that. So when we give to God our first and our best, it takes a certain level of courage and faith to say, God, I'm going to give you my first best and then let you take care of the rest, as opposed to the opposite was be, I'm going to give out of convenience and what's left over. No faith required. So I've got a hundred bucks and I'm going to give God 10. I'm like, wow, I don't know if I can make it on 90, 
rather than, that takes faith, rather than I'm going to give God, I'm going to see how that $100 stretches out, and then, hey, cool, I got a quarter left over. Hey, God, here's your vegetables, you see? So here's a saying. If you're writing notes, I would write this down. More, faith, more sacrifice requires more faith. More faith, we see more of God. When we step out of the boat, out of our convenience, these are the moments where we depend on God more and we get to see him more. If we live in our boat of convenience, like I ain't getting out, then we, we're, we're less going to be able to see God in our life and others won't see God in our life as well. So what Abel was doing was he was like, man, I want to give the best first. What does that mean for us? Okay, let me give you an idea. Our time is such a commodity for us, is it not? My time is a commodity. When somebody says, hey, can we meet? I'm like, um, okay, let me see if I can find a puzzle piece and, and, and put that in. My time is a commodity. If I say, God, I'm going to give you 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. on a Wednesday night in a mission field called Youth Group, I don't know if I can fit that in, but I'm going to give you that first. I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give to you an hour or two on a Sunday morning. I'm going to give to you an hour or two for a small group, or I give to you an hour or two or three for discipleship, and then I'm going to ask you, God, to fill it in by faith. I'm going to sacrifice my best and allow you to fill in the rest. My proposal to you is if you live that way, your life that way, then after your runway, people will say, man, that guy really had a sacrificial life. How many people do you remember in history that lived their whole life in convenience? Think about it. That did really something great for the kingdom. I can't, I don't know. I don't know anybody. They just lived their life with leftovers, with a few grapes like Cain. See, Abel says, hey, I'm going to go. And it's so interesting, that word of faith. To be honest with you, I know it's going to sound weird. I don't like that word in English. It's like the word love, you know? I love grapefruit. I love pistachio ice cream. I love God. I love my wife. And I love my guinea pigs. I mean, it's just all one big fat word, you know, for everything. Faith is that way too. Faith for some people is like, do you have faith in God? It means, do you agree with God? Do you believe? Do you have an intellectual like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. But the, the real essence of the original intent of the word faith is the word allegiance. It's pistis is the word in, in, in the original word. It means allegiance. You can imagine, let's say there's somebody who's going to catch me, and they say, hey, I'll catch you if you just fall face forward. Don't worry about it. I'm giving my allegiance, saying, okay, you have my allegiance that you're telling the truth. So when we have our faith in God, we have our allegiance. So when we read this chapter, by allegiance, Abel offered God more sacrifice then Cain, and then a couple verses later in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and without allegiance, that kind of a faith, without allegiance, it's impossible to please God. All right, so you remember this lady who came to Christ. She had this, this jar, called an alabaster jar. It was a fancy jar, and there was this substance in it called nard, which would be like, you know, I don't, Chanel number five, I don't know. I don't keep up with that anymore. Maybe we're up to Chanel number 15.3, but a very expensive, we would say perfume, but it's super, super expensive. I mean, it was 
10,000 an ounce, you know? Uh, and so I looked up, you know, how much was this worth? And most scholars think it was worth about an entire year's salary. So whatever your salary is, if you have that in mind, you say, this is what this cost her. This nameless lady did this on her runway and probably gave her best and probably didn't have much left over. She came to Christ and she worshiped him by giving this offering. It's fascinating in Mark chapter four, verse nine, that this nameless lady, Jesus says of her, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her beyond her runway. It was those people in history who have sacrificed that stand out that we look back and say, man, that was amazing. That was a life of sacrifice and is still making an impact. Here's the second thing. We go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 in the second sentence. Watch this. By allegiance, by faith, Abel was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. You see, Abel had this relationship with God that I'm going to say was covered. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that God did was cover their exposure, their mistake, their fracture, their embarrassment, their guilt, their shame, where it's covered. You see, when we come to Christ, there's something that happens. For those perhaps that came today and you're looking for God, let me tell you what happens. This has nothing to do with religion. You may say to yourself, I hate religion. Let me tell you somebody else that hates it, God. God hates religion because when we come to Christ, it is not about working it out. It's not about being better. It's not about being good enough so that by some measure of hope, we have still this wondering in our mind, I wonder if I'm going to be good enough. This is not how God operates. I have a I can say now a friend in Pakistan. He's a 20-something. He's a devout Muslim. I met him online. Let me explain that. <laughs> we, uh, there's a website called Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R.com. Uh, Fiverr in, in Great Britain is like $5 bill or you know whatever that would be, Fiverr.com. You can go on Fiverr.com, and it's a collection of artists, uh, graphic artists, painters, uh, filmmakers, etc. You can see their portfolio, and if you have a project, you can get on and kind of pick an artist that is in the style of what you want to do, and for a pretty inexpensive rate, you can hire them and show them what, the, what the, uh, you, you want, and then they give you the, the, the project back. So I went on Fiverr. I was doing a redesign of a project. It was about a three- to four-month design project, and I hired this guy, and uh, his name was Bilal. Bilal lives in Pakistan. He's a devout Muslim. We did the project. We're, kinda, we're, we're working out the project. He was doing great work. And then, you know, because the, the project had, you know, uh, 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 biblical uh, words in it, et cetera, he, he said, hey, um, Steve, are, at one point, he said, hey, Steve, are you the head of the church? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And automatically said, oh, father. I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm just a pastor, and you can call me Steve. No, no, most people just call me Steve. And so he was like, okay, well, um, I, I so appreciate the work, Father. I'm like, nope, still not, you know, not, not that. 
And it went on, and about after the eighth time, I gave up. I'm like, oh, let's just go with father. So he calls me father. <laughs> One time in the, after we finished the, the project together, about three or four months, he said, hey, do you mind if we keep this relationship going? I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. And then since then, I've given him two or three other projects. There came a time where he, he contacted me. We talked through Facebook messaging, and he, he contacted me and said, hey, the, the girl that I'm going to ask to marry me, she's deathly sick, and I'm afraid. Is there any way that you'd pray for me? I'm like, absolutely, because Christ is a healer. That's what I told him, because Christ is a healer. And so he came back to me about three days later, and he said, hey, she's better. I'm like, of course. <laughs> and then one night, he, he said to me, so I'm going to ask her to marry me. Because, Father, you know the sins of a young man. When I said, I know what you're talking about. And so he said, um, I'm broken, and I so want to go to heaven. But I just don't think I'll ever get there. It's about 11.30 at night, way past my bedtime. Somewhere about 1.30 a.m., we finished the conversation through Facebook messaging, going back and forth and back and forth of just a glorious open door for the gospel of Jesus. One verse after the next, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. At the end of the conversation, you know, he said, I think I like the Bible. I said, I do too. <laughs> In our American culture where we're so Bibleized, in our church culture, we forget that a vast majority of the human race is strangulated by religion. That they have no hope. They have no security. They have no sense of trust. Not based on what they're doing and all that, but a trust. And this is where it comes into difference with Christ. Because of what Christ did, he came he bore the cross so that he shed his blood so that we're covered by our sin. So that when God looks at us, something miraculous happens. He's wearing these lenses that are like UV, only they're covered by the blood. And when he looks at you, if you have come to him and say, I want that, I'm going to have my allegiance to that, I'm going to depend on that completely, then God doesn't see you with all of your fractures, no matter what you do tomorrow, what you did yesterday, what you do today. Christ sees you as absolutely righteous the gospel according to Abel. And then what happens is, is amazing that will never, ever, ever, did I say ever, happen in religion. You know what happens at this point? Jazz. We can actually enjoy a relationship with God. We can enjoy it. It's no longer, oh, I've been in places in Latin America where they are crawling on their knees for a half a mile just to get right with God. Christ said, it is finished. This silliness is finished. This human effort is finished because we are covered. Now, can we enjoy a relationship? So Abel comes that day, much different than Cain. Abel comes because he doesn't have to. Cain is only discharging duty. Sacrifice time. 
All right. Uh, there's a green pepper. There. Okay. There's a banana. How long is this thing going to go on? Abel, on the other hand, says, oh, you know what today is? Today is sacrifice day. Mm, there's my best. That's a, get that one. It's the, Abel, that's the best one. <laughs> of course that's the best one because, whoo, I got this relationship with God. I want to give him the best. It's not because I have to. It's because I want to. Two different kinds of runways. You see, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse, uh, in the second, uh, in the fourth verse, second sentence, by faith he was commended as a covered man, a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings, like, way to go. This was a neat relationship. You might remember the, word, the, the name Enoch. Enoch has a, this crazy relationship with God. He walked with God. He, was, he just had this rhythm with God. You know what I mean? It's, it's a difference in music. Let me give you a little bit of a, a music lesson here because my background is music. There's this thing called tempo. This is tempo. So our musicians, you may notice, they have headphones, your little earphones. Sometimes there's a tempo track. That's how you keep in tempo so nobody speeds up. Tempo is much different than rhythm. See, this is tempo, which every song has, but every song also has... That's rhythm. Cain had tempo, but Abel had rhythm. See? Enoch had rhythm. When we have rhythm on this runway, it just keeps going beyond the runway. You remember that person? I bet you can picture someone right now who had a rhythm and a jazz with God. They're no longer living, but you remember them because, man, did they have a jazz for God. Man, did they have an excitement for God. There was no have to in their vocabulary. It was only a want to. Just a couple verses later, actually the next verse, Hebrews 11, verse 5. By allegiance, Enoch was taken from this life. He, he was not even, uh, he didn't die. God just, whoosh, let's go. Hey, maybe we're having such fun. Let's just keep it going in heaven. By faith, by allegiance, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He couldn't be found on the runway anymore because God had taken him away. Watch this. For before he was taken on his runway, while he was living, he was commended as one who had jazz with God. Are you enjoying God? Isn't that a weird question? Are you enjoying God? Are you like, oh, I gotta pray? Or like, I didn't pray. God's angry. That really is awful. I mean, that's an awful relationship. Are you enjoying God? So last week, as you know, I went to Orlando. It was super restful, Doug. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't. He was right. <laughs> we went to the parks. Why? Why? <laughs> Now we, so we went to Epcot, the most relaxed park of all the, uh, you know, the craziness. And they have this amazing aquarium. I literally sat there almost in worship. I know that sounds ridiculous. But to see the hammerhead shark, to see the, you know, the, the uh, what's that thing called? 
Mm-hmm. Stingray, yeah. <laughs> hey, I could just like imitate animals and you could guess them all morning. That'd be fun. Why not? Like, how about this? No, shark. Okay. <laughs> they, and, and then we came to this little round aquarium and it had this brilliant, I mean, like firehouse red shrimp with these little tentacles things going out, little crawly legs and everything. And I thought, God must have just had a blast when he was creating and designing the world. God is fun. God is compassionate. God is loving. God is creative. God is a musician. God is an artist. God loves you. And he's like, like, can we enjoy this? Because religion is anti-God. That's where God stands. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, watch this. So we make it our goal to have jazz with him, to please him. Whether we are on the runway or we are away from it. Amazing. That, my friends, will last. Sacrifice, rhythm. Here's one more thing. God gave uh, to Cain a curse. And this curse took him back to his profession. Watch this. We're going to flip on the other side of the the boulevard back to Genesis 4, verse 12. And God said to Cain, when you work the ground, remember that's what he did, he's a farmer, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You're going to plant tomato plants, there ain't going to be nothing on it. You're going to get those banana trees in the ground, not a banana's going to show up, nothing. I can relate very much to Cain. (laughs) I kill everything I grow. Nothing's going to come out of it. There's going to be no fruit. Not only that, you will be a restless wanderer on, on the earth, just like Doug talked about last week. A pointless meandering without purpose in your life. And see, what was happening here is on that runway, the runway of tempo, the runway of rigidity, the runway of religion, the runway of church going is a runway where there's no fruit and that fruit is not going to show up on the runway or after the runway. And there's no purpose. We go from one thing to the next, one thing to the next, and we'll be restless wanderers. And Christ didn't call us to that life. He called us to a life of not being a restless wonder, but purposeful to bear fruit. Watch, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 16, He said, you did not choose me, by the way. I know you think you're looking for me, but I look for you first. But I chose you, and I gave you an assignment. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, but not just any fruit, fruit that will remain beyond your runway. This is the exciting part. Peter addresses this. It's a lengthy verse, so stay tuned. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter understands his runway is nearly over when he writes this, this letter. He says, make every effort to produce fruit, to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being a, well, a restless wanderer, ineffective and unproductive That means without produce, unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does have them, 
does not have them. He's nearsighted and blind. That's people that go you know, to and fro. They're kind of wandering, meandering, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from past sins. Therefore, watch this, my brothers. Be all the more eager to make your calling and election, that means your purpose, sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And at the end of your runway, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, he's talking to people that are mainly like you. We have a lot of Bible in our, in our, in our inventory, in our library. He understands that. And so he says this, so I will always remind you, not sometimes remind you or seasonally remind you, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the Bible, in the truth that you now have. But I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I am on this runway, as I live in the tent of this body, he's talking about his body, because I know that I will put it, the tent, the body, aside soon, because he knows he's going to die, as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my runway, that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Peter is discipling his people. He's investing in them because he understands if he's investing in them, even after he dies, they keep going and God is still glorified after the runway of his life. It's sacrifice, it's rhythm, and it's fruit. Those are the things that will last. Now for the finale that I promised you. This is marvelous. This is, I would put this in the mind-blowing column. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Even if you haven't been tracking along with your Bibles, I would invite you to track now. Watch this. We'll read it in its entirety, this verse. By allegiance, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a covered man, a righteous man, when God spoke well of his offerings. And after thousands and thousands of years, and by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Woo! That's amazing to me. His life, thousands of years ago, is still speaking today well beyond his runway. That's exciting. We can do more together now, but if we do it in such a way that's sacrificial and that it's in rhythm with God and that it's bearing fruit by investment, it will actually, we can do more together even after we're dead at the end of our runway. That, my friends, is glorious. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of Abel. Thank you that he still speaks after all of these years. Thank you for the nameless woman who sacrificed most likely all or most of what she had. She still speaks. Thank you for Joshua who led his life wholeheartedly and his life still speaks. The question, God, is this, will ours? 
Will our life still speak? Father, it's a good time to take some inventory. Are we willing, God, to live a first fruit life? That means giving you our time first. And then by faith, seeing that you will take care of the rest, are we willing to give the best of our funds, our resources first? And by faith and by allegiance, allowing you to show up. By, by sacrifice, God, are we living a level of sacrifice that people will remember that? Are we sacrificing our personal agendas, our personal opinions, our personal time, all these things, God, that will be remembered? Father, how is our jazz? How is our rhythm with you? Are we enjoying you, God? Are we living under the pressure of tempo, rigidity? God, are we, are we, do we have such a, a relationship with you that will be remembered after our lives on this runway where people will say, no, that person had a jazz with God, had a rhythm with God? Finally, God, it's worthy to ask, are we in this so busy culture, restless wanderers, moving from one thing to the next? Do we, do we look at our trees and with, there's no investment for the future, no fruit, God, or is there... Is there an investment in others that will last well beyond our runway. Thank you, Father, for the gift of covering. Perhaps there are those today that even though they know about Jesus, perhaps there's something that, that spiritually in their inner person today rang true like never before. And they find themselves searching for you, but in a way that perhaps they're afraid of you or they see you as a rule maker and see themselves as a rule breaker. And somehow, God, it just all seems like organized religion. And maybe today, God, you have carried your word through the tenderness and the power of the Holy Spirit to their very heart to know without question that you love them and that you want a, an enjoyable, personal rhythm and relationship with them. What a glorious moment. What a, what a moment of freedom. As we're praying, may I, may I ask, is that you? Is that ringing so true in your heart? Is that resonating with your inner person where you say, that's me. I have never come to Christ. I've never come to God in such a way that seems so freeing. Listen, Christ came for you because he so deeply loved you 
And even though you may not fully comprehend that, if you were the only person on earth, he recognized the predicament of humans, that we were fractured, that we were sinners, and we couldn't save ourselves, and he came for you, for me, for the whole human race, to take our sin on the cross, to crucify it there, to kill it there, to end it there, and to cover you by the power of his pure blood to, to cover you with God's innocent lenses that, he, that God could look at you and you'd be free of sin through what Christ did on the cross. He came back from the dead. Christ came back so that he could have the mysterious power to distribute the, the Holy Spirit to infuse that in our lives so that we now have the, the ability, the capacity to actually enjoy God, to live for God. So God will forgive your sins. And not only that, he'll ignite a new life in you. Is that what you came looking for? Really, not religion. Is that what you came looking for? If there is a big exclamation behind the word yes, then I invite you to pour your heart out to God in the rawest of ways. God, I need you. I don't want religion. I want you. I want Christ. I want forgiveness. I want, I want the Spirit of God to ignite new life in me. I want to exchange my old life, God, for your new one, and I want to enjoy a walk with you, a relationship with you. Perhaps you're here today you're a follower of Christ and you recognize you're living a rhythm, a, a, a life of tempo rather than rhythm. You've grown dry. It's all about the beat, not about the jazz. You find yourself more aligning with Cain as a restless wanderer. You love God. You want God. You know God. But maybe there's not sacrifice. Maybe it's more convenient. Maybe there's no purpose. Maybe there's no rhythm, no enjoyment with God. Maybe there's no fruit. Maybe today, God, you, you say to God, maybe you, you say, God, I want the next stretch of my runway to be different than the last one. What a great time to say that to him. He hears your heart and ever how you'd say it. Father, we end this time so thankful for who you are, pursuing us, every day, loving us every day, challenging us every day. We thank you for the runway, ever how many days there are on our runway. But we thank you, God, for the power beyond the runway. So we ask finally for Christ to empower us to do what we cannot do, to live sacrificially, to live our life spiritually enjoyably, and to live our life, God, to invest in others, please, would you empower us to live in such a way that we, like Abel, would speak many years beyond our runway. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.